Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on KSAPPress.com. I'm David Gobi Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is back at the Apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 65, headlined by a heavyweight clash between Sergei Spidak and the Black Beast Derek Lewis. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card. This part of fights, dogs, and parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. Plus, we're also talking to two fighters on the card. First kicking off the show, I'm talking to Jack Della Maddalena about getting back in there one more time before the year's over. And I'm talking to Brady Heastand about his recovery from a pretty brutal knee injury. But before we get to any of that great content, I have to let you know that this episode of the Tough Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Pickett. The Pickett social betting platform allows you to sync all of the action from all of your sportsbook accounts right in one nice, neat little spot. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the sports betting world, or maybe you're a well-established veteran that's just trying to expand your audience. There's so many cool features to Pickett, but perhaps my favorite is the security and privacy that the app allows. You never have to worry about your information winding up in the hands of a skeezy third party, and you can hide anything you want from the public, including dollar amounts if you're just somebody who wants to use unit sizes, maybe. But really, there's infinite reasons to love Picket. so whether you're a new, regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing and join the Picket community today by downloading the Picket app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me today is Jack Della Maddalena, who fights Danny Roberts at UFC Vegas 65. That fight is, of course, on November 19th. So, Jack, I, I wanted to start here. Th- there's not a lot of guys with the hype that you have. You know, knocking two guys out in the first round. You know, big performance on the Contender Series. Taking a fight on four weeks' notice. But here you are, taking a fight on four weeks' notice in the Apex. What sort of went into that decision to, to take a fight so quickly? Uh, to be honest, Daniel, it was a pretty easy decision. You know, I'm a competitor and I, I love fighting. So, you know what? In the I'm a UFC fighter. I feel like I'm a prize fighter. So I'm trying to get as many fights in as I can. Fit, healthy. I've been training hard year round. So I feel like I'm able to take those four-week notice fights, get in there, get the experience and have a good um, good fight. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about, you know, obviously the, the past performances and, and being ready and all that kind of stuff, too. But I, I also want to ask, you know, like, Danny Roberts is a step up in competition. He's a tough dude to be fighting. W- what does your training camp look like for fighting a guy getting ready in only a couple of weeks? You know, it's um, <clears throat> training camp hasn't really changed much. It's just getting really fit, trusting my skills, trusting my team's skills and trusting that we can um, – we, we can build the right techniques to beat Danny Roberts. I trust that well, – I trust my eyes. I feel like I can see counter shots and I'll be able to land hard shots on him. And it's exactly what I want being in the UFC. I want to keep stepping up in competition. So it's a, yeah, awesome fight to end a good year, uh, good year so far. 
Yeah, and you, you mentioned staying active, and, you know, this is going to be your third fight in a year. You know, I, I know you had mentioned previously that you had wanted to get one more fight in. You had wanted to fight one more time before 2022 ended. But then they announced that Perth card for February, and I know, you know, you, you want to be on that Perth card. Was there any hesitation thinking, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to turn it around by February? No, nah, there wasn't really. I hadn't, hadn't fought since June, so... You know, I was like, it really makes sense to get one more in before February. Still got a lot of, I feel if I was just sitting, I'd much prefer to fight than just sit on my hands until then. I thought, get more experience and then, hey, you know what? It's better experience and I can probably gun for an even bigger fight in Perth, you know, try and get someone even higher in competition. Absolutely. But I'm not looking through Danny, I'm not looking past Danny Roberts at all, just looking to go straight through him and set up another good year next year absolutely now you mentioned sitting on your hands i can't imagine you doing much sitting on your hands because i i know you had a son since the last time you fought and, and obviously training camp and everything like that too what has it been like preparing for a fight for the first time in your life with that added piece to it it's different you know but it's been a it's honestly been a really good motivator i thought i was real motivated before but it's just a awesome motivator when I'm not, I just, when I go to the gym now, I feel like I'm going with much more of a purpose, push hard. And then when I get home, I'm really just, it's really much better rest as well because I'm completely zoned in on family life. So it's really been a good, it's really bring more balance to my life, which has been perfect so far. That's awesome to hear. Now, I know I've seen some UFC fighters showing themselves bringing their kid to the gym or, you know, having the stroller on the side of the mats. Are, are you that kind of dad or is it is it two separate spots? Um, no, I was, to be honest, um, <clears throat> I was trying to get him over with the wife, but I think it's a bit hard now. But you know what, next time, I think next time they'll come out. I think it's it, a little bit hard at this point, but yeah, definitely next time I'll bring the, um, bring the family out. That's awesome to hear. Now they I, I want probably might not he, he might not get he might not get to the fight, but it will at least be in the uh, in the vicinity, you know. Absolutely. Now I I know we want to talk about this fight coming up with Danny Roberts, but I actually wanted to ask you something. You know, you're on a 12 fight winning streak because you actually kicked off your career with your only two losses. I'm curious, what what do you think about that in retrospect? Looking back, you turned pro, you had a couple of rough ones. Do you have a reason for that? Do you have a reason why you think it started so rough for you? Nah, no reason. I just, I think I went in there again. I wasn't as good as the competition at the time, to be honest. Went in there. There was no excuses or anything. It was just lot losing, you know, and it's just learn a lot from losing. It's a really, it burns to lose. So I think it was good to experience that. And it really, it lit a fire for me just to be after my first two losses. I said a pretty, at the time, it seemed like a ridiculous goal, but it was a goal of getting to 10 wins in two losses, so like winning 10 off the bat and just really stay consistent with that goal and, and until that goal was complete, you know. Now we've set new goals and it's just consistency. But I think this game, not many people get out with losses. I think without losses, sorry. You don't see too many undefeated people. It's not really like boxing in that regard. I think losses are important and... I just thought get mine out early worked <laughs> out so far so good. <laughs> Absolutely, and and so you know I, I've heard a lot of people say that early in those those careers, whether you're winning or losing, there's a lot of doubt. But it sounds like to you, 
there was never any doubt. It was just, you know, part of the process and things were going to be moving forward. Yeah, it was obviously, it's tough, you know, losing two fights and, but yeah, but it was good for the ego. It put me in check and it just made, it just bring me back down to earth. I think if I had won those early two fights, I may have been maybe a bit too big headed and not, yeah, I feel like I, I, I needed a lot. And maybe not everyone needs to lose, but I felt like I needed to lose, you know, definitely wasn't easy. It was definitely some doubt crept in, but most of the time it was positivity and consistency that got, got us through to where we are now. That's awesome to hear. Now, uh, let's get to talking about Danny Roberts, because your first two fights in the UFC were pay-per-views. They were big arena shows. They were, you know, tons of fans there. You're going back to the Apex for this one after being on Contender Series earlier in your career. You're getting a chance to go back to the Apex. What are sort of your thoughts on that, on being back to where it all started, where you got that contract against Angelusa? Yeah, it's awesome, you know. Obviously, it's just cool experiences. I think fighting in front of in front of a um big crowd is an awesome experience it has like a different vibe to it but then also fighting the apex you know is a different experience in itself a little more quiet the contender series it was interesting it was nothing there was no um no intro there was no walkout music so it was very bare and it was a cool experience it was pretty it was pretty nerve-wracking you know more nerve-wracking than a crowd i think and so i'm excited to feel that again awesome yeah just yeah, I just wanted to get a fight, really. It was really, didn't matter where, I just came to get in there. And what better place than, yeah, as you said, where it all kicked off. Absolutely. And and so I have to imagine, you know, we're, we're recording this on the Tuesday before your fight week. Are you there already? Have you traveled all the way to Vegas? What, what's yeah. your training situation look like right now? In Vegas at the moment. Actually, in the car park of the PI at the moment, just finished a workout. and. Yeah, just set up camp. We've got two weeks to the fight, basically. So just set up the last two weeks in Vegas. Get acclimatized, you know. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Now, we alluded a little bit to the match with Danny Roberts already, and you mentioned you could see those counters coming because that's that's what he's going to be looking to do here, right? Like, he's a guy who does like to stand and trade, but he also likes to counter here. What were sort of your thoughts when they gave you the name Danny Roberts and the style that you you knew he already brought? Yeah, no, I was stoked with Danny Roberts. I think he's um he's a he would say he's a veteran. He's had a lot of fights, knocked people. He's fought some really good competition. He's I reckon he's probably yeah he's not one of the top guys in the division. Probably one of the mid level guys, and I think I can beat him. He's a heavy puncher. He's got good all round skills, but I think there's opening for me to land the shot i think i'm better than him i think i'm younger i think i'm more hungry and yeah it's gonna be an awesome fight though it's definitely gonna be step up in competition like you said and it's exactly what i'm after i want to get into a tough like dog fight in the apex well we're looking forward to a tough dog fight in the apex now before i let any fighter go i always gotta ask the question how do you see this one ending what's your prediction for this one I think I'm going to get the finish, you know. I'm ready to go 15 minutes for sure, but I think I'm going to get the finish by maybe end of the late, late first round, start of the second round. I think if I push the right pace and if I make the right decisions, I think I can take him out. All right. Well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Jack Della Maddalena, who fights Danny Roberts at UFC Vegas 65. That fight, once again, is on November 19th. Jack, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Daniel. Legend. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Jack Della Maddalena. I, once again, am Daniel Gubby Friendly, and joined him by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. UFC 281, an absolute banger this weekend in the main event. We get Alex Pajeda finishing Israel Adesanya with Adesanya up on the scorecards. I'm going to ask you what I think is kind of a obvious question, but it's obviously a rematch for, for Izzy next, right? That's what we're seeing next for Pajeda? A hundred percent. Short of some sort of uh, injury or like a scheduling issue, it's got to be the Izzy rematch. Be honest, though. I mean, I I don't mind the idea of Whitaker uh, being in there if he were to challenge Perea first. Just saying, if if Izzy couldn't for whatever reason, but yeah, it's it's Izzy all day. And I have a question to throw at you. So if you look at the top five, because there was a lot of talk about where. Perea actually ranks and how he stacks up against the rest of the division. So I want to go down the list for you. I don't need an exact like, oh, he'd be a plus 175, but just favorite, not favorite, two to one, three to one, dog, favorite. What would you put as odds if Pereira was to fight Robert Whitaker? Uh, I'd say Pereira is going to be the favorite, mostly just because his striking, I think, plays up against Whitaker. I don't think anybody actually believes he's going to wrestle, get out-wrestled by Whitaker. So I'm going to say negative 175 for Pereira on that one. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Jared Cannonier? I mean, negative 300. <laughs> Marvin Vittori? Uh, maybe lower than negative 300. Maybe negative 250 on that one. And Derek Brunson? Negative a thousand. <laughs> okay, no, well, no offense to Derek Brunson, but like his wrestling, we, we saw it fail. Uh, and and you know, kind of the same thing for Cannonier for me, right? Like we we saw Brunson's wrestling fail to Cannonier, and we saw Cannonier try to step in there with Izzy and fail miserably. So like neither of those two all that interesting. Whereas you know, Vittori didn't wrestle Izzy in the second time they fought, but looked a little bit more competitive the first time, and we've seen him have success against Paul Acosta. So like. I think both of them, or all three of them, would be massive dogs to Pereira, with the exception of to Whitaker. I think Whitaker in there is a competitive fight. But you still have Pereira favored oh, yeah. in the Whitaker yeah, absolutely, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Well, I, I mean, I regret to inform you that genius MMA, MMA analyst Brendan Schaub said that Pereira would not beat anyone in the top five. <laughs> you have them all favored. So you must, you must be wrong. So honestly, I agree a hundred percent with everything you said on, uh, on the odds. Um, you know, Izzy, I could even see if Izzy's the favorite, I could see that he was winning on that fight. So they actually um, posted you know, those I, odds already too, by the way, I, I saw it got, it got shared from a book. I'm trying to remember, and they, they always love sending this out to, like, analysts and MMA types who, yeah, it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, I'm seeing Izzy being posted at the rematch for negative 170, um, which is which is a, a slightly smaller favorite than he was in the first fight, right? The first fight, he I think he closed at negative 210. Uh, it, it feels a lot like Usman, Leon Edwards, does it not? Like, Usman was up 3-1, to one, got knocked out. Uh, it wasn't that Edwards wasn't competitive the whole time, but he just wasn't winning. And, you know, the other guy was the champ for a longer period of time and defended against a lot of people. So, like, yeah, it, it was his time to go down. But, like, do we expect him to go down twice the same exact way? Uh, and, and, you know, obviously make a couple of adjustments. Izzy could have, you know, pinned him up against the cage for those last three minutes had he not hurt his leg or something like that. And he, he would have retained. We We wouldn't even be having this conversation. 
Now, I will also say, I think, um, and I think those, those odds are totally fair at the minus 170 for Izzy. I think Pereira has a few things going for him. One, there just isn't a wrestler uh, grappling submission artist right now in the top 10. So I think matchups are very favorable to him. Two, as we saw, I mean, him making weight is always going to be a dicey proposition, but once he makes it, and if he gets better at making the weight too, he's a big, big, big middleweight. Um, like we're talking like Luke Rockold levels of big, and he's probably a little bigger than Rockold was. So I like that aspect. Three, he's still evolving. I think his takedown defense will improve. I do not have a lot of faith in when I saw him defending some of Izzy's back attacks, which are not high level in any way. If someone were to get his back, I don't see that going well for Pereira. So that's something to keep in mind. I mean, again, that could evolve. He could work on submission defense. But I actually think his wrestling takedown defense will come along sooner than you know, the art of jiu-jitsu escapes from those ground positions. But that all being said, I mean, if he gets past Izzy in the rematch, I just don't see anyone really on the horizon that's an automatic uh, kill shot other than Kamzat. If Kamzat could survive an onslaught on the feet and got him down, that fight would be over in 34 seconds. Yeah, I I, I, th- I hear, so I hear the Kamzat thing first and foremost, but like at the same time, I, I want to see Kamzat fight it at middleweight, right? Like so far, who's he fought at middleweight? Gerald Mearshart? Uh, and you know, he, he knocked him out, but we, we haven't really seen him do very much at middleweight. So before we jump him right to a title shot, give him a Jared Cannonier or give him a, uh, Robert Whitaker, give him somebody like that because he, he beat that type of guy at, at welterweight. We can have those conversations about him at Mel- welterweight cause he beat Gilbert Burns, but until he beats somebody of that level at middleweight, I, I'm not ready to like, just say like he can walk into a title shot in whatever division he feels like. It just doesn't work that way. So um, I think he's a little ways off. And to your your point, yeah, I agree entirely. They, there doesn't seem to be a wrestle-heavy approach guy that is good enough to get him down regularly. I, I don't think Vittori's that. I don't think Brunson's that. Uh, Andre Muniz is a little bit further out. He's more jiu-jitsu heavy, a little bit less wrestling. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously the Bo Nickel question, similar to Kamza. I got to see him fight some people. Um, and there's some other guys just outside of the top 15. But yeah, it's a it's a weird spot right now because it seems like those two are one in one A. Um, and Robert Whitaker's not that distance of a two. And then three is just miles away. Yeah, I really feel like, and it, it almost doesn't get said enough. I mean, we bring it up on our, our little show here. He, 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 pat on the back to us. But it's like... You go from 145 to 170, so three divisions, 145, 155, 170. Each of those divisions, and you're the UFC roster guy, correct me if I'm wrong, have a minimum of 50 to 50-ish fighters, is that correct? Th- those, uh, All of those divisions are like – well, 170 is a little different, but the, uh, 135 all the way up through 155 are all pushing 100. They're like 80 to 100. And then 170 is a little bit lower, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I think that's in the 70s. Seven. Okay, so right. So those divisions are so massively just stacked, and everyone in those divisions has to be good everywhere. It just strikes me that in the past 10 years, in like the Connor, Ronda, 
UFC expansion era, let's call it that, when they went from, you know, the couple of fight nights and a pay-per-view each month to there's just a fight card every fucking week. And remember when everyone, like, in 2014 complained, like, that's too much UFC. No one's complaining about it, and they're making a billion dollars. That being said, the rosters got bigger, but outside of those middle divisions that you just said have, you know, like around 100 fighters, 135 through 170 at a little less, 70, fine. You can have guys like this, like stylists, specialists, style specialists who just have weaker divisions. Like I can think of a couple of times, and this would be better in a long form article or like a tweet where like light heavyweight was just decimated. Like there's no one at light heavyweight, heavyweight decimated, no depth at heavyweight. Same thing with like middleweight. It's, it's those like outlier weights that sometimes just don't have a lot in them and they just go through phases where like all of a sudden oh that's a banger of a division but then we go through three years where alex Pereira, who let's face it is not a complete martial artist right now he has some incredible skills but i look at the strength of schedule and i'm like i can see him going on a run with this title until he runs into like an evolved bow nickel or something you know what i mean yeah and i think we saw a similar thing at light heavyweight for the longest time how, how long did we talk about that being like one of the best divisions in mma between you know the chuck liddell rampage shogun you know loyola machida forrest griffin era everybody talked about that being the prime division and now, you know, no offense to Glover Teixeira, I love Glover Teixeira, but the dude became champion at 43 years old with mostly just his grappling. You know, like, that that's insane. Like, we went from being one of the great divisions to not, and I, I think to your point, it's just one of those things that they all go through cycles where that division is going to be hot, whereas in those more prime divisions, the ones in the middle, they're always going to be hot. There's a million guys in there. The, the hot guys will rise to the top. And, and, you know, like to your point, there's, there's like 60 dudes in the middleweight division right now. And the ones who have risen to the top right now are a little bit more special. It's specialized with the exception of, you know, maybe, maybe a Robert Whitaker is a little bit more well-rounded and did reign for a little while in the division. So, um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting to see what will come of all of those challengers, especially like you said, if he gets by Izzy. Yeah, and that's that's the big question. And I'll tell you, we uh, we have more questions to answer because it's time for our favorite segment on the show, fights, dogs, and parlays. We're going to be giving you a couple of fights we like, a couple of dogs we like, and a parlay to play for UFC Vegas 65. So, Gumby, before we get into it, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, let's start in a fun main event heavyweight fight. Sergey Spivak, a minus 180 to Derek Lewis, the plus 155 dog. Lewis the dog. This feels like a, if you're a gambler, and I think you'll know what I mean when I say this, this is like the classic Derek Lewis uh, trap where you <laughs> know Sergey Spivak should win, but you just have to bet Derek Lewis at the dog money because he's going to knock him out. But you just never freaking know with Derek Lewis. All right, let's look at Spivak. He's on a two-fight win streak, TKOs over Greg Hardy, bye-bye Greg, and Augusto Sakai, who I do not think is a good mixed martial artist, but it's a two-fight win streak nonetheless. Lost to Tom Aspinall last September in 2021. Was on a three-fight win streak before that. So when we peel it back, 
he is five and one dating going back to his last six, which dates all the way back to July of 2020. So he's been pretty active. Derek Lewis, on the other hand, on a two fight losing streak, lost a tie to Ivasa via KO and lost to Sergey Pavlovich via TKO back in July of 2022. So he goes from Pavlovich to Spivak. He's gotten all the international letters. Lewis has really been the gatekeeper of the division for the past few years. Uh, here we go again. He's a dog. Do you uh, take him or are you going to look at him Spivak? Uh, no, I do say best. You know, Spivak is better everywhere. Uh, Spivak is better wrestling. Spivak's better in the clinch. Uh, Spivak's probably a better technical boxer. Spivak's probably got better cardio. And you know damn well I'm taking Derek Lewis, right? Because <laughs> at the end of the day, none of that fucking matters. It just doesn't matter. Uh, because Spivak to me is not like skilled enough defensively or a good enough power boxer, you know, with, with enough power in his hands to beat Derek Lewis. And I think it takes one of those two things, right? Because we have yet to see a guy go in there and, you know, like he got beat by surreal gain, right? Surreal gain, both a really good technical boxer defensively, offensively, and he hits hard. Ty Tuivasa. He had Tuivasa on skates. He almost took Tuivasa completely out of that fight. Tuivasa has a better gas tank, a little bit better of a chin, and he's a power boxer himself. Pavlovich, power boxer. Good defensively on top of all that. We haven't seen somebody who doesn't fit that bill beat him. And, and Spivak is going to have to try to get on the inside of Derek Lewis, something that's way easier said than done. And it's way easier to than said than done to get on top of him and stay on top of him too. So for me, I just think in a lot of those exchanges when he's going to try to get in close, I think he's going to eat something, and it only takes eating one from Derek Lewis, and it's all over. So, yeah, I'm I'm tempted by the dog money on Derek Lewis, and that's where I'm sitting. I have to sit there, too, just because it's Derek Lewis. Uh, let's move on to maybe a more fun – I mean, I, I shouldn't say that. It's not fun. It's just it could get frustrating with Derek Lewis because you just never know what you're going to get. Uh, but we have Kennedy – uh, and Zek Q, uh, who's a minus 165 favorite, and Ian Kuteleba, a plus 140 dog. Uh, Kuteleba is uh, coming off a loss, actually, to Johnny Walker via rear naked choke. He had lost to Ryan Spann before that via guillotine choke. Beat Devin Clark before that. That would be his last win in September of 20, 2021. So he's one and two in his last three and on a two-fight losing streak. Um you know, I think there was a time where uh, Ian Kutaleba was thought of as a, a prospect, and now you see there are holes in the grappling game with two submission losses, and that's something you have to uh, figure out, obviously. Uh, and now facing Kennedy, and I'm going to butcher the name again, and Zek Q uh, is on a one-fight win streak. He has a win over Carl Robertson over T by TKO, lost Two in a row before that, so he's also one and two in his last three. And the favorite, who you got? I'm gonna go with Kennedy Zuchuku. I, I think really for me the difference maker here is when we saw him come out against Carl Roberson, he came out with a real grapple heavy style. Uh, he took him down a bunch of times. He got the TKO from the ground and pound. And for me, fighting a guy like Kudalaba, Kudalaba is a guy 
who is not particularly long for his division. You know, he's only six foot one at heavyweight, whereas Kennedy is six foot five, and, and that might even be a little bit under. He might be six foot six. He's going to be the much longer fighter. He's going to be the much better boxer. And with all that wrestling background now, I just don't think Kulaba can wrestle him up the whole time. And I think that's what he has to do in order to win this fight. So yeah, give me Kennedy Zuchuku on this one. And, and I think he gets it done with a KO too. Ooh, I like it. Um, the KO call. Uh, let's move on then to uh, Marner Moreau's a minus 175 favorite to Jennifer Maya, plus 150 dog. Uh, Moreau's is on a three-fight win streak. She had lost to Carla Esparza and Angela Hill, and then that was back in 2017 and 2018, and then reeled off three wins in a row, one in 2019, one in 2020, and then back in March of this year. So she'll be fighting for two times in a year for the First time since 2016, Marna has not been active, but she has a lot of talent. Maya, the dog, is on a two-fight losing streak, losses to Man- uh, Mar- Manon Firo and Caitlin Chikagian, uh, uh, but beat Jessica I before that and lost to Valentina Shevchenko before that. So one and three in her last four. Do you like her enough to take her as a dog? Who you got? No, I'm going to go with Moroz here. And the reason I'm going to go with Moroz, too, is because – much like I was just saying with Kennedy, she showed a huge improvement in her wrestling last time out. She she continuously took down Maria Agapova, and she dominated her from a bunch of grappling positions. In addition to that, I think she's the better boxer than Jennifer Maya. So if Maya can't get it to the ground and get her, her grappling going, I, I think she's just going to be slower than Maraz on the feet here. Maraz picks her apart for a decision. I like it. Uh, our dog of the week then is Vanessa Demopopoulos, uh, plus 105. Let's hear it. Yeah, I like Vanessa Demopoulos here because, you know, like Maria Oliveira, she, she looked all right in her debut, but I, I've got real questions about around whether or not she can stuff takedowns. And Vanessa Demopoulos is insanely skilled on the mats. I may not think a ton about her boxing. Like, I don't think her boxing is anything to write home about. But the fact that she is so good with her grappling and she's up against somebody who will probably let her grapple a little bit, I think this one's really all about Vanessa Demopoulos. And it is close to even money, but get her while she's still a dog. Our parlay to play is Miles John, a minus 140, and Natalia Silva, a minus 180. So two favorites, pair them together, get your plus 167 odds, break it down. Yeah, I think so. Miles Johns has got really good value here because he's coming into this fight kind of on short notice against Vince Morales, but I do see him with a huge power advantage on the feet and really good grappling. So for a guy to be a favorite and stepping in on short notice, you know the books must really like him because usually when you're stepping in on this short of notice, you wind up a huge dog or at least a minor dog. Here he's outmatching Morales in such a way that I still think you're getting value on negative 140. Natalia Silva absolutely blew me away in her debut. She counter-wrestled uh, what was the uh, Jasmine Jezudovicius nonstop for the entirety of that fight. Um, and, and man, I, I can't say enough good things about her striking in that fight. So she's going to be fighting Teresa Bleda, who is coming in. I don't know if this is a short notice fight, but the fight got announced late. And also my problem with Bleda here is she's one of the ones who Dana White didn't sign off Contender Series originally because she just kind of like laid and prayed. I really don't think she's going to have the ability to do that against Natalia Silva. I think she gets picked apart here really easily. All right. Well, that wraps up this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We sure hope you liked it as much as we liked giving it to you. Let us know how we did at Top Turtle MMA on the Twitter. Let us know if you did your right. Let us know if you did your dirty with some of those picks. Gumby, we're having fun here. Let's keep the party moving. What should we do next? 
Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Brady Heastand, who is making his second fight in the UFC after coming up a little bit short on the Ultimate Fighter finale. He talks about that fight with Ricky Tercios, as well as a gruesome knee injury he suffered even before going into the Ultimate Fighter house. So we're going to get to that interview for you right now. All right, and joining me today is Brady Heastand, who fights Fernie Garcia at UFC Vegas 65. That fight is, of course, on November 19th. So... Brady, I wanted to start here. Obviously, in that fight with Ricky Tercios, you tear your ACL. Give us a little bit of an update on what the recovery time was like for that and, and how long you've been back to, you know, full-time training. So, actually, I tore my ACL before the Ricky fight. I tore it before any of my fights on Tough. Um, but the recovery's been really good. I uh, I uh, got surgery the month after the Ricky fight when they found out it was a torn ACL. Um it was kind of a slow process. If anyone knows anything about ACL, it's a long recovery, usually like nine months. And so the first – I also had meniscus repair, so I couldn't walk for two months starting out. And then I could start the ACL rehab, so I started working on that, you know, started training. But now I feel like I'm 100% ready to go. Well, that's great to hear. Now, I'm curious. You, you said it was torn ahead of time, but you, you sort of found out the extent of the damage afterwards. Did you know it was an ACL? Did you have an inkling that it was an ACL? Or was it mostly just like, hey, my knee's messed up. I'm hoping it's good enough to go. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I've never been injured before in my life. You know, I've never broke a bone, never torn anything. Nothing more than like a sprained ankle. So I knew something was wrong, um, and but I didn't know what. And I never went to a doctor. I just was like, okay, once I was in the house, I didn't tell production because I didn't want to get kicked off the show if it was something serious because – I'd be going and it would literally buckle in the middle of, you know, me kicking or something like that. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep it to myself. Then once I got out of the house, I knew I was in the finale. I was like, dude, I can't give up this opportunity. So I'm just going to, you know, put it in the back of my head and just kind of go out there and fight this fight. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't know it was going to be this bad. I was expecting something minor like a meniscus and stuff like that. Cause obviously I could still uh, perform on it decently. You know, it would pop out every once in a while, but I felt pretty confident. But once I heard back that it was a torn ACL, I was like, what the hell? That, that's crazy. So, you know, you, you said you didn't tell anybody. Does that include coaches, people game planning with you? Do, I, I know, obviously, you got a chance to talk to, you know, some of your, your actual teammates during the process of the show. Did you reveal it to them or was this just a Brady secret? So I did tell uh, my coaches on my team, you know, I told Volkanovsky and Craig Jones and them. But I made sure they didn't tell any production because I remember going into the Ultimate Fighter and I remember watching Juliana Pena's season, obviously, because she's my teammate. And I remember hearing there's a guy that was on the season and he tore his hamstring. And I remember him getting kicked off the show because he tore his hamstring. And I'm like, dude, this can't be me. This is like the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been thinking about this since I was young. And so I was like, we can't tell production. So even like, it's funny because we've been talking about it and we're all mic'd up and they're like, so we hear you, you might be talking about something with your knee, you know, I, and I was like, nope, nothing, nothing wrong here. And I would just literally blow them off and they would like follow me around and be like, are you sure there's nothing wrong with your knee? I'm like, nope, nothing going on. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad that worked out for you, but now I'm, I'm curious after the fact, now you're in the UFC, you got your fight in the UFC. You've obviously got a contract that allows you to fight one time after that. Are there any regrets about not getting it looked at more? Or, or is this, you know, the end result is good enough for you to be happy about it? You know, I don't, I don't look at life with regret. So, I, you know, I don't really look back on it. Plus, 
you know, I think I did pretty good for myself on the show. And I honestly believe I won the finale. And so either way, I think I'm the ultimate fighter. So going into this next fight, I don't have any regrets. I got my UFC contract, you know, seven fight contract with UFC. I came off a show and I feel like I put on good performances. And if anything, it's going to be a surprise when I go out there and then I'm on a whole nother level because my now I got both legs instead of just one. Absolutely. Now, I, I wanted to ask you one more question about the Ultimate Fighter. This one about, you know, obviously the season that came next with Juliana Pena getting a chance to coach again. You got to sort of repay the favor and come in and help some of the, the women on the, her team out. What, what was that like for you to, to kind of sort of re-enter the Ultimate Fighter house? Yeah, it was pretty crazy, especially because they used the same exact house that they did in the pre in, in my season. So it wasn't, it was all the same. They were at the Apex. They would stay in the same house. It was it was pretty cool, honestly, being on the other side. It was like all the benefits without any of the downsides. The only downside is I couldn't, I wasn't fighting, which I which I enjoyed. But uh, it was cool being a part of the process. And, you know, I had a little bit of insight to help the people out, you know, became close with a bunch of the girls like Hannah, you know, Juliana Miller, you know, a lot, Kate, Caitlin Neal and stuff like that. So, you know, it was cool experience being around all those girls. And the guys, too, because we got to help out the guys, you know. Usman was on our team. Bobby Maximus is the man. Zach Powell. You know, those guys are, are uh, now good friends of mine. That's awesome to hear. Now, I, I want to talk about the fight with Fernie Garcia because that's obviously the reason why we're here. But before we do, I I'm a big connoisseur of, of fight nicknames. I always like hearing the stories of where they came from. So, your nickname, Bam Bam, do you mind sharing the story about when that officially became your nickname? Yeah, so, I mean, my name, Bam Bam, came from, because I've been doing jiu-jitsu since I was 13, 14 years old. And so I, I, you know, I grew up on a jiu-jitsu mat, really. And that's where my martial arts started. And uh, so I was always the youngest person in the adults class. And I remember I was always super, uh, super young and super small. But when I went out there to compete or when we do really hard live rounds in, pre in class, I would always go crazy. And I was always actually pretty strong for my size. And so one of the girls in class would see me going out there and it reminded her of the Flintstones and the kid Bam Bam, you know, the little guy beating up all the big giant dinosaurs with the stick. And she, she thought that kind of related to me. So she gave me the nickname Bam Bam. I love it. I love it. Does it bother you that there are more than one Bam Bam in the UFC? You got, you got Barbarena, you got Tuivasa, or, or is it, you know, like you're, you're a unique brand of Bam Bam because you're a little bit smaller than them. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, we're, we got Bam Bams across all the weight classes. We got the heavyweight. We got, what was what is he, the 170 pound or 185 pound? Yeah, Agarino. 170. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, we got to have a little bit of diversity in the Bam Bams. Plus, I think my my nickname's, you know, a little bit more unique. I feel like it comes from, you know, the Flintstones, a little cartoon rather than, I don't know where theirs comes from. I don't really know their origin stories. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know those ones either. There's but enough, there's, enough, there's enough Bam Bams to go around. <laughs> There's enough. I like it. All right. So let's talk about Freddie Garcia. Um, you know, he's he's a guy who came to the UFC a slightly different way than you rather than the ultimate fighter. He comes through the contender series, the newer way that people have been getting to the UFC. He also had a little bit of a disappointing debut in, in terms of, you know, what the end result was. What were your initial thoughts on Freddie Garcia when they offered you him as an opponent for your second fight? You know, I really like the opportunity to fight for me. You know, I think he's a good fighter. You know, I think he's going to make me look really good in there because he's got good technique. He's a good boxer. I'm sure he has good grappling. He has a lot of submissions on his record. But, uh, you know, I'm not intimidated by, you know, 
you know, him being 31 or, you know, a deep record. But, um, yeah, I think I think he's a good fighter. I think he's a cool guy. Seems like a nice guy. Trains down at Fortis with some killers. But I'm excited. For, I'm, I love the matchup, honestly. Me, I'm excited for it. All right. Well, I always like to end these things with a prediction. Can you tell me what exactly you love about the matchup and how you see this one ending? You know, I love the matchup. Always I feel confident with my grappling, but I'm excited to show showcase some striking, and wherever the fight goes, I'll be ready. So stay tuned, November 19th. All right, you heard it here first, folks. This is Brady Heathan, who fights Bernie Garcia at UFC Vegas 65. That fight, once again, is November 19th. Brady, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and Picket App. And remind you guys that you can check us out on our social media, at Top Turtle MMA, on both Twitter and Instagram. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. And we will catch you then.